Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of a multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. John Miltimore will be joining. He's the editor-at-large at fee.org. We'll be raising the question about, is the hegemony of the U.S. dollar finished? And we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of many uh, murder mysteries. It is February the 26th, and on this day in 1993, a terrorist bomb exploded in the parking garage of the World Trade Center in New York City, leaving a massive multi-story crater and causing collapse of several steel-reinforced concrete floors in the vicinity of the blast. Although the terrorist bomb failed to critically damage the main structure of the skyscrapers, six people were killed and more than a thousand were injured. The World Trade Center itself suffered more than $500 million in damage. After the attack, authorities evacuated 50,000 people from the buildings, hundreds of whom were suffering from smoke inhalation. The evacuation lasted almost the entire afternoon. City authorities and the Federal Bureau of Investigation undertook a massive manhunt for suspects. And within days, several radical Islamic fundamentalists were arrested. In March 1994, four were convicted by a federal jury for their role in the bombing, and each was sentenced to life in prison. The mastermind of the attack remained at large until February of 1995 when he was arrested in Pakistan. He had been previously in the Philippines, and a computer he left there was found terrorist plans that included a plot to kill Pope Paul John uh, Paul II and a plan to bomb uh, 15 American airliners in uh, 48 hours. On the flight back to the United States, he reportedly admitting to the uh, Secret Service agent that he had directed the Trade Center attack from the beginning and even claimed to have set the fuse that exploded the 1,200-pound uh, bomb. His only regret was that the 110-story tower didn't collapse into its twin as planned, a catastrophe that would have caused thousands of deaths. In 1995, uh, 11 were convicted of conspiring to blow up the United Nations headquarters and other New York landmarks. Prosecutors argued that the World Trade Center attack was part of a conspiracy, though little clear evidence of that charge was presented. In November 1997, two were convicted in a court only a few blocks away from the Twin Towers and subsequently sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh, Only one other man, believed to be directly involved in the attack, uh, remained at large. After the 1998 bombing of the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania, U.S. uh, investigators began to suspect that Yousef had ties to Saudi Arabia's uh, Osama bin Laden, the head of the anti-U.S. al-Qaeda terrorist network. When bin Laden was in fact involved in the 1993 Twin Tower attacks had not been determined, but on September the 11th, of course, we know what happened. Two groups of al-Qaeda terrorists finished the job uh, begun by Yousef crashing two hijacked airliners into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. 
The structural steel of the sky, skyscrapers could not withstand the tremendous heat generated by the burning jet fuel, and both collapsed within two hours of being struck. Close to 3,000 people died in the World Trade Center and its vicinity, including a staggering 343 firefighters and 23 policemen who were struggling to complete the evacuation and save the office workers trapped on the high floors. Almost 10,000 people were treated for injuries, injuries many severe. Senseless. Why are they doing this? It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, an astonishing week in stock market wrapped up with the S&P 500 hitting a record high. When NVIDIA's blowout earnings uh, were the star of the show last week, kudos to Carvana, which recorded its first ever annual profit on its comeback tour from the post-COVID depths. So congratulations to those at Carvana. Fresh from humiliating Nikki Haley in her home state of South Carolina, Donald Trump is pivoting from the primary candidate to a keenly familiar role, presumptive Republican presidential nominee itching for a rematch with Joe Biden. Trump tightened his grip on his third straight GOP nomination with a crushing win over Haley in the Palmetto State of, uh, on Saturday night, his fifth straight victory to open the 2024 primary election season. And during a whirlwind day, Trump jetted back to uh, CPAC, the confab where he hobnobbed with conservatives in the nation's capital to the front lines of the campaign where he courted Southern voters. Throughout, uh, America's 45th president made a clear pivot to the general election and the themes he hopes will return him to the White House. Trump painted himself as a persecuted political opposition leader, facing more than 90 felony charges levied by Democrat-led prosecutors but nonetheless determined to restore security and prosperity to America wrecked by Joe Biden. For hardworking Americans, November the 5th will be our new Liberation Day, but for the liars and cheaters and fraudsters and censors and imposters who have commandeered our government, it will be their Judgment Day, he declared. Trump's uh, CPAC speech, like his victory address in South Carolina, reprised his uh, favorite policies for his improbable 2016 run, invigorating the U.S. economy, stunted by Democrat bloated federal spending, making cities safe from crime, and securing a lawless border. Trump, uh, Trump's win was convincing in South Carolina, defeating a woman who ruled two terms as governor in the state by more than 20 points. As they did in Iowa and New Hampshire, exit polls confirmed that Trump's focus on the border was hitting home. Immigration was identified as the number one issue among South Carolinians uh, by a wide margin. Trump also made it clear in a weekend of campaigning that he plans to wear his criminal indictments in four separate cases as a badge of honor akin to what political dissidents like the late uh, Navalny in Russia and uh, Nelson Mandela of South Africa did. He argued, in fact, that his prosecutions and mugshot have created sympathy for him in black America. As for Biden... Uh, Trump up his, upped his barrage on the mental and physical health fitness of the Democrat, uh, who beat him uh, four years ago while trying to turn the race around on B Joe Biden by suggesting his policies over five decades of public service have been hurtful to blacks. On top of everything else, Joe Biden really has proven to be a very nasty and vicious and racist. He's been a racist whether you like it or don't like it, he said. Try, not mincing words, Donald Trump. Trump's uh, campaign also... Uh, will keep its primary endeavors going with Michigan's primary coming up this Tuesday, but the focus now shifts to the general election needs, including installing a Republican national leadership he trusts for the November contest. And that means wasting little time addressing anything to do with uh, Nikki Haley. 
Now, Michigan's uh, presidential primary is uh, tomorrow with Democrats, President uh, Joe Biden, GOP candidate Donald Trump expected to win. But the contest will be a big test to see how Biden navigates dissent within his party over his response to Israel's war with Hamas, considering the state has a large Arab-American population that supports the Palestinians. And Biden has vocally supported Israel since October the 7th attack. Uh, the greater Detroit area is the home for one of the largest, oldest, and most diverse Arab-American communities in the United States. Michigan's large Arab-American and Muslim populations turned out big for Biden in 2020. Is that going to happen this time? We'll see. I don't think so. Well, CBS confiscated the records of an acclaimed investigative journalist it laid off uh, this last month who is embroiled in a First Amendment lawsuit. On Thursday, Jonathan Turley, a George Washington University law professor, reported that CBS News seized the files, computers, and records of Catherine Herridge upon her termination. This is unbelievable. Herridge joined CBS from Fox News in 2019 as one of the few journalists among legacy outlets who doggedly reported on myriad major Democrat corruption evidence. I've spoken confidentially with current and former CBS employees who stated they could not recall the company ever taking such a step before, Turley wrote in the Hill op-ed on Thursday. If you haven't read the op-ed, it's very good. Uh, of course, professor, law professor at the George Washington University. One former CBS journalist said that many employees are confused why Harridge was laid off as one of the correspondents who broke news regularly and did a lot of original reporting. The timing of Herridge's termination immediately raised suspicions in Washington, Turley added. She was pursuing stories that were unwelcomed by the Biden White House and many Democrat powerhouses, including the Her report on Joe Biden's diminished mental capacity, the Biden corruption scandal, and the Hunter Biden laptop. She continued to pursue these stories despite reports of pushback from CBS executives, including CBS News uh, president. One national report uh, spokes source who spoke to the Post called these five seizures extraordinary. The source said that the network boxed up her personal belongings except for her notes uh, and files and informed her that it would, be, it would decide what, if anything, would be returned to her, the Post reported. Turley wrote that the Hill had her records. Many contained sources who were given confidentiality by Herridge. The company is suggesting that the privilege of confidentiality and material rests ultimately with CBS, and of course that's absolutely not the case. As a threshold matter, this cannot be the case with regard to files that were generated during Herridge's long stint with Fox News, yet CBS appears to be retaining those files too. A CBS uh, spokesperson rejected claims that the network planned to review Heritage's personal material. Heritage was included in a layoff ordered by CBS parent company Paramount that was affected 20 CBS employees out of approximately uh, 2,000. Well, this, uh, to me, it looks like what, the way I, this kind of story forms in my mind is uh, somehow CBS uh, got a call from the White House saying, look, we don't like the work that Herridge is doing. We want you to do something about it. And this probably led to the seizure of her files and her layoff, being laid off at the time that her other employees were. But to seize confidential records from our reporters, it's totally unheard of. And uh, again, now that we're weaponizing, well, we probably already have, but uh, this is just another case of weaponizing the fourth estate 
Of course, we're talking about the press. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Come on up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large at fee.org. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. I hope you check it out, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's start our discussion with global events, including what's happening right now in Ukraine. Okay, so in Ukraine... Um, Two, two parts are happening right now. Obviously, they had a defeat 
in Arvak, and um, they pulled back from there. Uh, now is a period of time where they're uh, trying to re-equip their soldiers, uh, get ready for the spring offensive that both both parties are, are most likely to play. Um, and of course, they're you know very short of of artillery shells and all sorts of ammunition. A combination of the fact that the West um, hasn't produced enough. In other words, I think we discussed this before. The industrial base in the West is all the West doesn't make a difference where has been so depleted over the last 20 years. No one believed that there would be a high-intensity warfare that would use up so much ammunition. And then, of course, the fact that the Congress still hasn't passed the Ukraine aid is holding back American weapons. Europe has the will. They're spending more money than the United States is right now, but they don't have all the arms that the United States does. So it's a complicated situation. Indeed it is. Now, uh, Zelensky made the claim that he's only lost 30,000 or 31,000 troops uh, during the course of this war. That sounds very low to me. What do you think? I don't know. I have no way of, you know, how and what basis would I be able to confirm that or anyone else? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the fact that people have said they've lost more, does that mean it? We have no idea. One of the things that might be true, and this is something you have to keep in mind, is the Ukrainian does a much better job in terms of uh, medical care of soldiers that are wounded than the Russians do. The Russians don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. I know here in Israel, um, our battlefield deaths have been relatively low. I mean, it's still, you know, not small, but they've been under 250 because almost anybody who gets first aid manages to, you know, if it doesn't get die instantly, most manage to live because their doctor's literally in the field and they're, and they're taken to, by helicopter to hospitals within half an hour. Well, the, the con- context of my uh, comment is that uh, I'd heard reports that a half a million people have been lost, Russians, as well as uh, in uh, Ukraine. So that seemed it seemed uh, minuscule by comparison. Well, I mean, again, you have to listen to the source of the context, yeah. right? The who, 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 where are we getting those numbers from? And we'll talk about that in a minute because the amount of disinformation is is quite impressive. Yeah, to say the least. So let's move to. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I listen. I certainly didn't count the count their dead. Right. No. Well. So. It, um, but again, good battlefield medicine can save a lot of lives. Doesn't mean doesn't mean huge numbers have been wounded. Right. So in other words, in in Israel, the two hundred fifty um, soldiers died, but somewhere near five thousand were wounded. Yeah. Good point. Now, in World War Two, it was more. You know, more people. More people were killed than were wounded because people didn't survive. Right. So let's let's so. move to Russia. Uh, what's so Russia? So this is an interesting story. I mean, first of all, we talk about Russia right now. By the way, it's sort of related to Ukraine. The, the Ukrainians have hit uh, steel mills of Russia. The biggest steel mill in Russia was hit by Ukrainian drones and pretty much destroyed, from what I understand, from a huge fire. Um, but what I wanted to discuss with Russia is some something really interesting that took, that came about this past week um, about. Oh, two months ago, maybe I'm not exactly sure the exact date, but there were the reports of Jewish stars being painted on, uh, on Jewish businesses in Paris. And so the immediate feeling was it's anti-Semitism, you know, Jewish star on a business goes back to World War II and the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that the Jewish stars were painted by the FSB, the Russian uh, Security Services. Um, second of all, and related, but not totally related, uh, it's come out here in Israel that the Russians have paid two of the newspapers in the country large sums of money to to print pro-Russian and anti-Ukrainian articles. Hmm. 
and we tie that, and I'll tie that to American Domestic. You know, the story with the the um, um, FBI source who was saying that uh, President Biden was getting um, bribes, and it turns out he was getting the information from Russian intelligence. The Russians are really, really good at this, mm-hmm. and they've been doing it for a long time. And they've, and thanks to social media, they're able to to increase the uh, amplitude of their messages. And so much of what's being spread in the world is being spread by the Russians. And people are not aware of it. Hmm. You have to ask yourself, how is it that uh, so, much, so many Americans switch views in terms of Ukraine over a period of a year? Um, not, not because the Russians have been such good guys, right? Um, and, of course, you know, we've seen what Russia has done. You know, he finally released the body to the mother of Navalny as long as the burial was was secret, mm-hmm. um, and anyone who can, who put flowers on a you know in a memorial in the valley was arrested. So you're dealing with a absolute despot, and they're very very good at foreign misinformation. And so whatever news you hear at any given time, just think about for two seconds whose interest it is to create this story. And and Mark, my opinion is that uh, that question should be asked on every story you read. Right, but there's a slight difference, though. I agree with you. Generally speaking, you should look at every story and understand, you know, who decided to cover the story and why was it covered, etc. Right. But it's quite different because the Russians have a uh, a directed campaign of two things. First of all, they want to create chaos, right? What was the point of creating, putting the Jewish stars in Paris? It wasn't that the Russians were being anti-Semitic. They wanted to create civil unrest mm-hmm. in France. Mm-hmm. Uh They've done this in all sorts of other places where they're trying to create civil unrest, people against people. There were stories, um, I guess it was four years ago, where the Russians were involved in stirring up black-on-white confrontations in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, the Russians are doing this in a very, very sophisticated and very much directed way. So, so in other and, words, perhaps amplifying Black Lives Matter and the stories there in the United States? Exactly, amplifying Black Lives Matter... Uh, talking about violence that may never have even existed, all sorts of things of that nature. They they were very much involved in that. Mm-hmm. Calling on white people to come out at a particular point so there'd be a confrontation. They were behind a lot of this. And I think, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself to some extent, uh, you know, look at the discourse in the United States in the last five years, six years, how shrill it's become between various political views, much more so than ever in the past, right? Yeah. Never has it been so shrill and yet the differences are not still, there's nothing new that's been added to the equation that in terms of the you know differences in political opinions and things of that nature, there isn't that much. Mark, uh, I'll, and, I'll make this observation, though. I, I, what I believe is that it uh, used to be when we all watched Walter Cronkite, we had one source of news, and we could disagree on, on the margin. We could disagree on some things going forward. But right now, the news agencies and outlets are so different in what they report and the quality of reporting and the content of the reporting that many people are just totally informed in a different way about all these issues. Well, absolutely. We live in our own little cocoons. Right. But which is very problematic because some of them, are, look, some of them are just not news. Some of them are just pure propaganda of one, one form or another. Right. Some of them um, are no doubt being influenced. Do we know which ones are getting money from the Russians? We don't know. Yeah. I can say here the two major news outlets in Israel receive money from the Russians to run pro-Russian, anti-Ukrainian stories. Isn't that disappointing to you? 
Extremely. Yeah. Extremely. They, they, they accepted it absolutely without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, just earlier um, in the show, I reported about Catherine Herridge being fired and what happened with material CBS is holding on to her, her documents and her sources and so forth. And it's just extraordinary. I mean, it's just astounding how, how uh, the ethics of that is just awful. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, you know, we have to become more informed, informed readers, so to speak. And also people must do the best they can to break out of their cocoon once in a while you yeah. know, on purpose. You I, know, I'm not saying go find the most, you know, the most right or the most left-wing publication, but once in a while, jump out and see what the rest of the world is saying. Yeah. I, otherwise I, you end up in a, in a mirror. Yeah. And, uh, and echo an echo chamber chamber. Is really strong. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mark, I need to take a little break and you stick around. Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show. Are you seeking new customers or contacts for your business? Why not promote your business to our loyal listeners? Join Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, the Collier Senior Center, Lulabee's Diner, and many others who've been advertising on the show, in many cases, for years. The rates are reasonable, and there's no required long-term commitments or contracts. Let me help you promote your business to our loyal listeners here on The Bob Harden Show. Visit the website, bobharden.com, or send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. That's bobharden at hotmail.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Cuyahoga County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Cuyahoga County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, voteforttimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett. Republican and an all-around good guy for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the discussion with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCenter.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, uh, right now I should point out to our listeners that you're living in Tel Aviv and have, I'm, I'm guessing, almost for the last year. So right in the eye of the storm when it comes to what's happening in the Middle East, can you give us an update on what's happening in uh, Israel and Yemen? Sure, absolutely. So we've got a couple of different fronts here. In Gaza, the war is continuing with um, Israeli troops in different parts of Gaza, mostly mopping up uh, without yet going into the last area, which is called Rafah. 
there have been hostage negotiations, um, which is not clear. They've made some progress, but the major stumbling block is that the Hamas is demanding that a uh, condition for it is that the a complete ceasefire, end of the war, Israel withdraws from the Gaza and leaves Hamas in power, which is sort of a non-starter in Israel. So mm-hmm. we'll see where it, whether that makes any progress at all. I mean, there's been progress uh, in terms of all sorts of other you know, sub subcategories, how many prisoners versus how many hostages and all those things. But the fear is that more and more of the hostages have slowly been dying, so we just don't know. Right. Um, and, of course, we certainly don't know what's been going on with the women soldiers. That's the great fear, because... The women who did come out, um, who were released in the earlier deal, all it seems were sexually assaulted. So, so what's the um, sentiment in Israel right now? There is a strong, you know, global movement to trying to get a ceasefire and so calling this some sort of a human rights atrocity and so forth. Uh, Israel's assault on Hamas. Uh, to me, I just really respect the fact that Netanyahu is keeping a stiff upper lip and continuing the. Continuing getting the job done, if you will. What what are the thoughts in Israel? So there are two parts to it. Number one, look, no one accepts the no one accepts the fact that this has been a you know genocide or anything like that. I mean, obviously, if Israel wanted to genocide the Palestinian people, there are very simple ways of doing that, uh, which Israel has just absolutely not done. It's done its best to limit. Right. Um, the, the yes, civilians have died, but that's what happens when you have an urban warfare and you have a an enemy that hides behind civilians right. as human shields. Uh, so the numbers really aren't very high considering the fact that it's, you know, what sort of warfare it's been. Um, but, you know, the only concern is, and this comes comes back, there's a concern that in some levels of Gaza becomes Israel's Vietnam or Israel's Iraq. So it clears one area, it moves on, and then, you know, they come back, and you end up having to go back, which is happening right now in an area called Zaytun. So, so that's one part of the equation. So uh, Israelis are united in the fact that this is a just war and there's no choice. Israelis are getting a little bit concerned that there may no there may be no easy way to end this war. Mm-hmm. And you know that's generally generally speaking in most wars. You know how it begins, you never know how it ends. Well, that's true. And, and what about the, the whole idea of what's going to happen after the war? What's, what's the game plan? So, so that, that's, that's really the big question. Israel is talking about creating uh, areas where there'll be separate uh, local rules. Rulers would, would, would take care of it. There is talk of letting the Palestinian Authority renewed and changed, having some control. It's not at all clear. That's part of the problem is it, it wasn't all clear, and it still isn't all clear what the best outcome is. Um, you know, the the most concern is that what happened on October 7th never can happen again. Mm-hmm. And so that's really more than anything else. And there is not a clear path right now how to ensure that other than on a military level. Um, obviously, it'll never happen again militarily, but other things can happen as well. Yeah, what about the, the meantime, alternative of, two- of, of uh, establishing a police state there for a period of time, five years, ten years, something to that effect? Right, but Israel doesn't want to do it directly. Um a, it doesn't have the manpower to, you know, to, to do that. It doesn't want to. I mean, you know, occupation is a bad thing to do, mm-hmm. uh, period. It doesn't make a difference, you know, whether it's necessary or not, but it's a bad thing to do. And sending 18-, 19-year-old soldiers to be occupiers is really very problematic. Mm-hmm. So Israel does not want to do that, but it's, so far it's not found the perfect of the solution, unfortunately. It's looking. Well, part I mean, of the problem is just the thinking process and how people uh, think about Israel in uh, Gaza. And uh, until that, that's a, that thought process is eradicated, there's going to be continuing problems. 
Right. Well, absolutely. That's that's inherently the problem. I mean, President Biden, I thought, put a, a poor a poor tweet the other day where he said that you know all Palestinians are not Hamas, and Hamas makes up a you know a small percentage. They don't. By in terms of the more recent opinion polls, sixty um, percent of the people in Gaza and seventy or eighty percent in the West Bank support Hamas. Right. So how do you make a deal with people who believe you shouldn't exist? Yeah. Exactly, and so inherently, it's it, it's it's the one challenge, you know, that's that's people don't understand. Let's put it that way. You know, it's not if you don't hear the chants in the college campuses or other demonstrations at this point end the occupation, right? In other words, end the occupation theoretically means the West Bank, right? Uh, no, they're talking about you know Palestine from the river to the sea, which means no Israel, right? So therein lies the rub. You don't really have much from negotiating room if that's if that's the starting point it seems to me so. that the real solution is leadership and having someone who steps forward and says we're going to take the people in a different direction who has the command and like uh you know of somebody with uh the cut of like uh uh the palestinians need an anwar sadat and they have that one yeah exactly that's exactly the reality if if a palestinian leader had come to the israeli knesset at any point in the last 20 years and said same thing, no more war, we don't want any part of what, what's currently Israel, have your very nice Jewish state, that's your, your issue. Uh, the refugees will all come back into our Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza, and we hope to live in peace with you forever. Just let us have our own state in the West Bank and Gaza. They would have had, a long, they would have had their own state years ago. Absolutely. So, Mark, uh, I, we still have more to talk about what's happening in the Middle East, but this story in Sudan is extremely upsetting. Can we talk about that? Absolutely. So Sudan has been engaged in a civil war for the last, you know, in some ways it's been the last 20 years, but it's become particularly problematic in the last year and a half. And, of course, it's turned out that um, there have been many, many, many human rights violations going on on a regular basis, uh, soldiers using rape as a weapon of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and it involves tens of thousands of people who have been killed. And, um, you know, the world just pays very little attention. You know, if we look at look at today's New York Times, there are seven, eight articles about what's going on in Gaza, and maybe there's one article about Sudan. Yeah. Um, so... Um, We're talking about genocide. Pop- We're talking about serious crimes and, uh, against humanity in uh, Sudan, and uh, nobody seems right, to... And, not, and, and on purpose. Yeah, because we're not talking about people who accidentally died when you know when someone was bombed and you know the collateral damage. We're talking about the use of crimes against humanity in order to terrorize a population. You know, and this is this is a trend. Uh, I, I think for the last several decades of, of seeing some stories ignored where genocide is occurring and others were that are amplified and they're important. I'm not suggesting that what's happening in Gaza is not important, but you know there are other things going on as well. Right, absolutely. I mean, there just isn't the, you know, the, the Palestinians have a Palestinian diaspora. People have moved moved to the United States and other places, so they make sure that's well covered. There isn't a large number of Sudanese who seem to care yeah. about what goes on in Sudan. Um, so, no, it, it's it's true, and it's a very problematic situation. You know, we go all the way back to the people who, you know, Pol Pot and the two million Cambodians who died. Right. So and we paid no attention, really, and only in the after fact, when writing the history, we talk about the terrible Pol Pot and what went on. But, you know, the U.S. left Cambodia, and we left it to Pol Pot to win, win and then kill two million people. All right. 
Before I let you go, last question I forgot to ask you about uh, Ramadan and what's coming up and uh, this kind of an artificial deadline that's being set. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it's pretty artificial. Obviously, it's better not to have war during Ramadan, but I remind everybody that um, that the war began on a Jewish holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hamas didn't seem to care that it was beginning a war on a Jewish holiday. Yeah. So... That's probably the best way to end it. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. Great for kids of all ages, including you and I, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with John uh, Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for our fee.org. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more by visiting the website and get tickets, by the way, for some great upcoming performances, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us John Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, good morning, Bob. Great to be with you. Thank you so much, John. Now, tell us about Fee.org. 
Yeah, FEE has been around since 1946. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and connect future leaders with the economic, ethical, and legal principles of, of a free society. Terrific organization. If you have somebody high school or college age in your life, introduce them to this terrific website, FEE.org. By the way, you got a new president recently. We did. Uh, he was hired. I, I didn't even know that was... Uh, officially announced yet, but we did last week uh, announce um, Jogo as the new president. Um, he is still not in our country, oh. but he'll be coming here, I guess, in the next few weeks. Um, like our previous president, he's from another country. Um, this one is in, in South America, from Brazil. And there's always a little bit of paperwork that comes along with that, but I think he'll be starting um, in late March. Outstanding, John. So you wrote, uh, wrote, I think, a pretty provocative and interesting story. It's called, Is the U.S. Dollar Finished? Interesting question. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as most listeners know, um, the U.S. dollar is the official you know, currency for the entire world, almost. Um, you know, when, when we trade with other countries, um, do, you know, all these countries are we're exchanging in, in dollars, and most of them hold uh, massive amounts of, of cash reserves in, in the dollar. Um, recently, a financial analyst of some repute, uh, Richard Bove is his name, um, did an interview with the, with the New York Times, uh, it was kind of his swan song. He, he announced he's retiring, um, but but during that conversation, he said, um, you know, I, I'll quote him. He said, "The dollar's finished as the world's reserve currency," mm. um, and that was a bit of a shock to me because this would have you know some pretty huge financial implications. Um, and and, and Bove didn't didn't really explain why. You know, he didn't at least go into great length, you know, why the you know, countries would be moving off the dollar. I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think he's more bullish on China's economy, mm-hmm. um, at least than I am. Um, I think he, he cites, you know, as well, the, the decline of manufacturing. Um, but this would really have, you know, massive implications. You know, it would raise the cost of borrowing a lot. Uh, it would have, you know, huge effects on the stock market uh, and so forth. And while we don't really know that will happen, I, I do think there is reasons for Americans to be concerned about to be concerned about this. And it does show that the dollar is, you know, it, most of us in our entire lives, this has been the financial system, which goes all the way back to, you know, Bretton Woods in the 1940s yeah. when this was set up. Um, but a lot has changed since Bretton Woods. Um, the U.S. you know economy is now um, we're, we're we're just a, a fiat money economy. We're not using. Um, we're not backed by gold anymore. The dollar's value, you know, is plummeting faster and faster each year. So I think this is something people should be aware of. You know, there's others um, that, you know, uh, Jerome Powell says this isn't really a serious issue. He doesn't think this is going to happen. Who, You know, Jerome Powell is the federal yeah. uh, reserve chairman. Um, but I, I do think this could happen. And I talked to other economists about it a little bit, and um, several of them spoke to the risks, you know, um, it, that are kind of inherent in our system. Um, there are some good signs, like most countries still do have a majority of their reserves are U.S. dollars, um, but that can change fast. There are other financial systems competing with ours, right. um, and and some of this might stem as well from the U.S. kind of throwing its weight around um, and punishing countries with sanctions and so forth. They don't cooperate. Um, I think there um, are you know some reasons that other countries might be looking for alternatives. Absolutely, and of course, one of the 
Senator, mo- moments of uh, this whole thing was in 1971 when Richard Dixon took us off the gold standard, and the, 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 therefore the backing of gold uh, disappeared. So it, it, we became kind of a free-floating currency. And to me, if if you're a uh, another country, and you're keeping reserves in dollars, you're automatically losing purchasing power just by having those in, uh, reserves in dollars. Right. No, I think I think 1971 was a huge issue. I remember years ago, I, this used to confuse me because I'd hear like, well, FDR took us off the gold standard. And other people would say it was Nixon, you know, and this is back, I, I was in college. And, you know, t- to your point, Bob, back in, before 1971, you know, if, if I had paper money, I couldn't go exchange it. Um, you know, to the government and say, "Hey, here, here's a thousand dollars. I want gold." But nations could. Yeah. So, so our currency was still tethered to that extent. So, right. if, if Japan had all these dollars and they wanted to exchange them for gold, we would honor that. And uh, Nixon said, "No, we're going to temporarily stop that because you know, like we were kind of in, in winding down the Vietnam War. We had all these you know programs that were being launched, all these expenses that the, the, the you know federal do- government was consuming." So we just stopped that temporarily, but we've never reinstated it. And that, that does mean we are, you know, just a fiat currency yeah. where we can print, print, print as much as we want. And we've seen, you know, some of the repercussions of that in recent years. Um, so we do see that, you know, there are other countries that are, are setting up their own systems. Um, and um, if, you, if you look throughout history, this is sort of what the, 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 the pattern we see over and over again with fiat money. When you have it on back currency like this, um, it gets depreciated, um, and um, from our own, you know, I, I won't even speak about the, the, the global framework, um, but it does great damage to money. And, you know, you do have BRICS and other financial systems emerging. You also have things like cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe it's one of those things I talk to people, and some people are, are, are huge enthusiasts about things like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Others still think it's a, it's a total scam. Um, I happen to be a believer in it, and you see, you do see like the price of, of some of these, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum today. They're going through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is a perfect money system. If if if, if it's allowed to to be used, um, it, it, you could see something like that becoming um, what what countries are using for reserves because you you, you can't just print more bitcoin right yeah. you have a, a a very limited amount um you don't have to worry about somebody saying um well we're gonna we're, we're not gonna actually let you trade or we're gonna put sanctions on you um or you know cutting off your 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 stream of dollars or or, or banks you know cutting you off of that um it, it's yours so um, I, I think there is concern, and you know, th- I, I won't make any predictions. And I do think this is something unlikely to happen in the next year or five years. But it is something like during our lifetime, I, I would I would think something like this could certainly happen. Uh, I, I totally agree with that. And of course, I, my understanding is the BRICS countries are now trying to uh, build up their reserves in gold in preparation for this changeover. So that could be a rumor. I'm not exactly sure, but the point is, I'm sure I don't think everybody is happy with uh, the dollar. Uh, being the uh, reserve currency right and it, it's nothing I hope that happens because like I said there are some serious financial repercussions that could happen from this but you know our leaders need to understand um, that you simply can't uh, print money uh, and, and spend it on whatever you want um, there, there, there needs to be accountability we're not seeing that um, so there's a lot of reasons you know if I was a different country I probably wouldn't want to be holding um, Right. Most of my reserves in, in U.S. dollars, no, 
right now when you look at this uh, this pattern. So we can hope, you know, hopefully there comes some discipline. Um, there are other countries countries that are very eager for U.S. dollars still, um, and we, we you know we, we are hearing a lot about Argentina, you know, potentially dollarizing soon. Um, there's still there's still reasons people trust you know U.S. dollars, um, but we got to make sure we we can we, we earn that trust. Right. Um, and the more reckless we are, it means we're unlikely you know that that the global hegemony of the dollar could be over if, if we keep playing these games absolutely john miltimore again uh editor at large for fee.org i hope you check out the website fee.org john terrific information and uh, co- commentary thank you so much for joining us hey thanks a lot for having me on bobby have a great week you as well thank you john all right coming up jim mctagg former barons washington bureau chief and author of many murder mysteries that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of some terrific murder mysteries. His first is Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and his latest is called No Problem. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. I was doing an autopsy of the South Carolina primary. Uh-huh. You know, the New York New York Times had a uh, wonderful map of the demographics, and uh, Nikki Haley, who who I would have preferred over Trump, but I, but I admit that uh, she lacks a lot. Um, 
Anyway, she got 40% of the vote, which seems respectable. But when you look at the Times story, uh, the voters she got appear to be Democrats who crossed over. They were wealthy, they were college-educated, mm-hmm. and they lived in the cities. <laughs> you know, uh, Trump got everybody else. He was a steamroller. So I think, um, you know, when you look at the election results in South Carolina, Trump did a lot better uh, than the papers would suggest, number one. Right. Uh, number two, the Koch brothers who bankrolled Nikki Haley in South Carolina, I think they spent close to $32 million on her campaign, where Trump spent next to nothing. Right. But anyway, they're shifting gears. They're, they announced publicly that they're not funding her campaign anymore, and they're going to focus on the House and the Senate. And I tell you why, this is really important. Mm. Because, you know, the popular press says, whoever gets elected, Trump or Biden, they're lame ducks. Well, that's not true, because the Republicans have an excellent chance of capturing both the House and the Senate, in Mm. which case, in which case Trump would be a steamroller. Um, And these races are, this is where the public's attention, I think, will begin to uh, focus, because um, uh, let's remember, recently there was a a race in New York to replace George Santos, and a Democrat, Tom Suozzi, won. Right. He spent $6.4 million, but outside money was almost four times that amount, $21.2 million. So it shows you you that the, uh, the moneyed forces have already targeted House and Senate races because they've realized, I think that the Democratic money realizes how slim the margin is and, and how how the Democrats are very vulnerable this election cycle. So I, I would I just uh, ask this question, though. If, in fact, the Koch brothers are beginning to put money into the uh, House and Senate races, uh, aren't they pretty much never Trumpers? Aren't they? Don't they prefer to have the uh, rhinos in there? Uh, they are, but they're also businessmen. <laughs> uh, they prefer rhinos, but they're backing Republicans. Mm. So, so um, you know, and I'm, among this, I don't like Trump, but I have a very educated, very wealthy friends who are successful business people, and they're all pro-Trump narrowly. You know, like uh, Trump promises a payroll tax holiday again like he did on his first term. Well, for a businessman, that's, you know, music to their ears. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would remind them that Mussolini promised to have the trains run on time um, at the risk of insulting your listeners. So my point is that that there's more to life than the payroll tax. Well, well, but there's also, Jim, there's also regulations. I mean, you take a look at the regulations that he cut. I mean, before he got there, it was like walking walk around the economy. It's like walking around in saltwater taffy. I mean, he cleaned a lot of that up. He, he uh, lowered the taxes. You know, if he just continues to do what he did in his first term, I think all of us will be happy. Yeah, if he, if he does that and doesn't try to storm Congress, people will be happy, number one. I don't like Trump, but on the other hand, and I hear this from other never-Trumpers, they're outraged at what's going on in New York with the prosecutions. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, 
uh, it's a hanging judge. Uh, don't you think on the face that to have have an attorney general run for election saying, I'm going to nail Trump, right, and then concocting a case is just so contrary to the, to the Constitution, so contrary to the psyche of Americans that I think this is, I think New York State is propelling Trump to the White House. I do too. Well, and quite frankly, it just uh, it just enrages me to think that they could violate the Eighth Amendment in such a way that uh, this cruel and unusual punishment that they're imposing on Trump simply for the purposes of trying to disable him financially. Just it it's so egregious. Seems to me there should be some higher court, even the Supreme Court, should step out, step in, and, and uh, address this issue. Yeah, I think that will happen. I mean, Trump's been signaling that he's going to uh, file a. Um, appeal based on the Eighth Amendment, and he'll probably, I would be shocked if he didn't win. Um, so uh, uh, another thing propelling Trump to the White House is the economy. Um, you know, David Brooks had a column this weekend, and I was wondering what planet he's on. He was uh, boasting about all the jobs that Biden has created and all the money he, he's pumped into the economy. Why are people unhappy? Doesn't he talk to people with families trying to support them. I mean, uh, food and housing, the two two essential elements, are almost unaffordable. Right. Um, it, the Democrats, you know, wealthy Democrats and our ivory tailors don't touch base uh, with Joe Beer Drinker, and they don't realize how challenging it is to support a family today, number one. Number two, I was talking to a, a, techie, a tech executive who who uh, took a buyout from his former company. So he's back in the job market. He sent out 50 applications and got 50 rejections. And finally, a, a company reached out to him. He was a finalist, 2,500 job applicants for this one job. And they offered him a job at half the pay he had previously gotten. Um, you know, these the techies, the educated people, the once the highest paid people on earth, uh, they're no longer complacent or happy. That's really bad for Biden yeah. uh, yes. and, and Bidenomics. So, you know, it, it does look like Trump is a shoe in for president. They'll try to jail him. That would be funny, wouldn't it? Like, uh, will he have a protective secret service uh, yeah. unit or a private you know, be on the island of Elba. It's just um, just amazing. Jim McTague, I just appreciate your commentary. I know we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but I tell you what, I just really appreciate the quality of your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests coming in for tomorrow's show as well, so I hope you'll tune in. I really appreciate your listening to the show, so thank you for that. And if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll share the information with your friends and acquaintances. That's one of the ways we spread the news and word about the show, and that's one of the ways we support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>